Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. So here we are once again, the RV Navigator podcast for June 15th, 2011. This is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, talking to you once again from our at-home, in-the-basement studio. Yes, but we have been traveling. We have been on the road. We have exciting adventures to share with our listeners. And we're really poor. We've been spending a lot of money. Us? Poor? On, yes. On boring old repairs. Wow. It's always fun when you go in for the 44-point checkup on your motorhome <laughs> and they find 44 things wrong with your motorhome. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. <laughs> so we were off to the Spartan Rally, and this will be kind of a repeat of last year's June episode when we were also at the Spartan Rally. But I figure that once a year we should go in and have the old motorhome checked up. It is a 2004, so... So that means that it's uh, a few years old, and it needs to kind of go back and have go to the factory and uh, see what's uh, needs to be fixed and repaired. And we had no real problems. Well, so we thought. <laughs> but and we go to Spartan during the rally time because you get a bit of a reduction on the um, mechanics hourly fees and on the parts but i am always highly resentful as this rally takes place <laughs> both during our anniversary and oh, my birthday and i can think of a lot more exciting things to, to do on my you. birthday happy anniversary to me then sit, only 40 years then sit in a waiting room and we won't say how old you are no we no well <laughs> it's either be here or not be here so i'm glad it's better than the alternative as yep. they say yep yep but you're not the 65 that I am. No, no. So you Still have, not you on Medicare. You have reached into the realm of uh, Medicare and, and Social Security. And even though Ken, in my mind, it takes good care of our motorhome yeah. and is very conscientious and reads all the time and tries to repair things, we still found a, a disappointing number of things wrong. And certainly part of the problem is that many of the innards of your motorhome are rather inaccessible to you when it's sitting on the ground. And, of course, at Spartan, they had... The they didn't put it on a lift, no, but, but they, they had pits that you could go right. down underneath and see just how rusted <laughs> look, and corroded look, look, our motorhome really guts. was. Well, it wasn't really rusted and corroded, but it, but it did need some fixing. And this is kind of a, a lesson for us and maybe you too, because one of the things we found is that uh, the brake adjusters were frozen in place. They were corroded to the point where they no longer worked. And the reason why that happens is... As the co-pilot finds... We don't use our RV enough. Yes. Uh, one of the things that Spartan told us, and of course everybody, you all know that the Spartan is the manufacturer of our chassis. They take the chassis, they put the engine in it, they put all the, the wiring, and then they ship it off to Numar to have the body put on it. And that's the way most of the motorhomes uh, are, that's the way they start their lives as a chassis. So to get the engine components and the suspension and brakes and all that sort of stuff repaired, you go to the a Spartan repair facility, in our case, or to Cummins, which is the engine. Now, if you're on a Freightliner or if you're with Tiffin or somebody, then you have to go to a facility that specializes in them. But in our case, they emphasized in the classes that you have to have, uh, you have to use the coach. And if you don't use it, 
it deteriorates. You lose it. You lose it. I feel somewhat misled in that these chassis are also made for um, much more heavy-duty use trucks. Uh, fire engines are put on these chassis, yes, 18 exactly wheelers. Exactly the same chassis. And here I was told that my chassis would be good for 500,000 miles and right. my brakes would, would never need to be replaced, yes. yada, yada, yada. And yet we're having all these problems due to lack of use. Well, but that's because it just sits, and these vehicles are designed to be driven 150,000 miles a year. And the same thing with the tires that we replaced a couple years ago is is that if you don't use them, then they just plain deteriorate. So and would we have been better off buying a less heavy-duty machine? No, you'd have. Well, if you didn't use it, it would be the same issues. Every motor coach has, every car has automatic adjusters for the, for the brakes. And if you let it sit for six months and those start to freeze up, then they don't work. And that cost us several hundred dollars to get that, uh, that little issue taken care of. So we, we needed, be... a, we needed a new muffler. Why? Because it, it was rusty. Well, because and it rusts because you sometimes drive at very short distances. It collects water and then it rusts from the inside out. So we yeah. should become full timers. Uh, in some ways, that probably would be better. Although sitting down in Florida for five months, as some friends do, that could cause it's similar sorts problem. of problems. But that's why we go, is to kind of re- at least reduce the, the issues with this. And because it takes seven gallons of oil to change the oil, uh, oil changes are expensive. So it's easy to spend quite a lot of money without really seemingly doing a lot. But it will keep your coach in good shape for the long term. And we certainly don't want to break down at some point in our country where there's no one around who knows how to deal with these things. There was another couple there who knew that they were having leaking airbags, and they were on their way to the rally when the bags um, failed altogether. And then they were on the side of the road, and the lack of airbags caused their coach to sink down to the ground, which meant that no one could tow them. And uh, they were really in a bad way. So it's best to to do the preventive maintenance and try to avoid those problems. So the mantra here is get out and get on the road don't let that rv just sit take care of your rv and drive 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 well don't you don't have to take care of it if you drive it and because this is all truck components they really are designed for the long distance and and spartan emphasized as we mentioned last year that really rvers do not test the metal of these chassis that it's like they have nothing on them they're designed to haul haul 70,000 ton dump trucks so a little RV sitting on its back doesn't make any difference at all to these engines. And that makes me very happy because I can bring all the shoes I want. You can bring, well, no. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> My shoes oh. don't weigh 70,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, well, we won't get into the weight issue. I, I, okay, so that was one thing we did, um, and that was exciting. Um, we took some classes, and one, and one of the classes that we, we watched was on fire safety in your motorhome. <laughs> another one that, that scares the, the living daylights out of you. The man who presented so stay, this. If, if you don't want to be scared, then don't listen for the next five minutes. The man who presented this, you might well have seen if you've gone to other RV rallies, because I think that's his, his um, full-timing travel job is to Mac, go around. the fire guy. And, and educate RVs about fire safety. RVers. And certainly that was how he earned his living when he was still working full-time in he was fire an protection. And one of the dangers with someone like this who has such extensive knowledge of fires both RV and otherwise is he knows all the things that can go wrong and he had one scary story after another about all the things that can go wrong it was quite a sobering experience but but, but it was it, it was not that he was trying to scare you 
you, but just let you know that you need to be aware of the issues so that you can be proactive. Isn't that the case? Well, he talked about things that could happen. Yes. And one thing that he did that was uh, very good for us, I think, is that he reminded us that we need to practice how to getting get out of our escape windows, which I think most RVs have. Oh, they have because to, yeah. it's conceivable that a fire could occur in your coach that would prevent you from going out the normal door. And um, our escape window was full of cobwebs and filthy. <laughs> we never opened it. And um, we still want to actually practice jumping out of it, it leaves you quite a ways off the ground. So he advised um, putting a picnic table near your RV and practicing jumping out the window onto a picnic table. But this is a, a good drill that you should do because you never know. And I've always assumed that I knew the door, the escape hatch was there, but I never really used it. But I assumed that you just pulled the red handles and pushed it out. But I couldn't really quite envision a situation in which I would need it. But his point was that the most common fire in an RV is the refrigerator and if you have a refrigerator fire, which is almost always between the bedroom and the exit door, the door in your motorhome, that you are not going to be able to get to that door. And he had several examples of people who died as a result of not being able to get to the door and that you need to have thought about a plan to get out. Now, I mean, <laughs> you're talking about you know a 40-foot long motorhome. How long could it take you to get out? Well, you have a very short period of time um, if the motorhome does start on fire, and you need to have uh, the th have thought about how you're going to get out. And you need to have opened the door, the the window, and you need to have some sort of a prop to keep it open so that you can get out. He also said that uh, RV fires um, come to an uncomfortably dangerous point much yes. faster than home fires because um, the RV glue is very fam flammable and yes. vaporizes and starts on fire. It so if, if a fire happens while you are asleep, by the time you notice it, it would be too late to get out the front door of your coach. So you need to have opened the, the door there, and you need to make a prop to hold it open so that you can get out. And then you need to figure out how you're going to get out, because in our case, we'd be at least eight feet off the ground. And how are you going to get out? You know, which way do you position your body to get through the window? And, and who goes first? And Feet first or head first? All those things need to be planned, because you're only going to have a few seconds in order to save your life. He also brought a variety of different fire extinguishers yeah. and let us practice with them and uh, pointed out that some of them are approved by the RVIA Association, yeah. uh, which seemed to be like the good housekeeping seal of approval as for far as he was RVs. concerned yeah. for RVs. And as with many things we read about today, um, just having uh, a fire extinguisher that has been poorly constructed or hasn't been um, looked at for a number of years, the chemicals inside can leak out or settle down into a hard little block so they won't come out when you really need them. So this is something that you need to pay attention to periodically and practice with. Well, we, he showed us several different types of fire extinguishers and how they worked, and that was really quite interesting. And I think the two that were most interesting were the bicarbonate of soda dry powder and the foam. I found the foam to be quite effective, and the nice thing about the foam is, is that you can spray it on a person and not injure them. It doesn't cause any uh, cosmetic damage inside your, your motorhome because it's like soap, so that uh, if you do have to spray it around in your kitchen or something, and they're very small, which I thought was a nice feature also. So you can buy these little canisters that are liquid foam, and they 
will fit uh, in your RV. So we bought a couple of those so that we would have them. Uh, and the bicarbonate of soda one worked very well in the fires that he had, uh, you know, like a grease fire in your kitchen or or something else similar to that that, that caught on fire. And I keep our bicarb uh, extinguisher near the kitchen where I cook, and I resolved to at least once a month uh, shake it up and bang yes. it to make sure that the the baking soda doesn't settle into a little hard rock. So most of the time, your RV like ours has near the front door, it has a fire extinguisher that was put there by the factory, and you've never touched it since. And you see the green uh, in the gauge, and it looks okay. So you say, hey, I've got a fire extinguisher, and it's working good. Uh, but that is not necessarily the case. So you need to shake it up and get the, the powder in there loose so that in case you do need it, it will come out. Uh, the other thing that was interesting was that the fire smoke alarms, um, the, I was surprised. Our motorhome has two, what I thought were two smoke alarms, but in fact, um, motorhomes only have one, and that's and it's in the front. In the back, we have a, a carbon monoxide sensor. So that was would not be good for sensing fire at all. We purchased another smoke detector that has the two types of smoke detectors built into one. When our when our motorhome was manufactured, there was only one type of smoke detector that was commonly available, and that's one that's detected smoke. But the new ones are ionization, and they detect not only smoke but the combustible materials, the gases that they release into form of ion ions. I have no idea what I just said, but it sounds good. <laughs> but anyway, they're they're a dual sensing type of smoke detector, and so I put one of those in the kitchen and the bedroom. And in a number of the stories he cited, uh, people were rescued because their dogs started barking. So those of you who are pet lovers yes. might find your lives being saved by your dog. Ta-da! The smoke detectors need to be replaced every five years, which is something else I didn't know. So that you need to just plain replace them because that's their lifespan. E- even if the battery is good and you haven't used it, it's still, uh, in order to maintain its sensitivity, you need to replace it. So we learned quite a lot by that. Um, and, you know, you just don't know about these things. It's like insurance. And, of course, the real reason that fire has become such an important issue for RVers is that there's been so many stories about fires that started in the backs of people's refrigerators. And that seems to be the real hot-button issue at the moment. And that led us to, to doing a little more research and thinking a little bit more about our fridge. Those of you who have Norcolds have probably gotten recall notices. Uh, we very conscientiously went in and got our ourselves recalled back in November, but this fire guy told us that the recalls don't fix the the problem either. made us feel unsafe all over again. Right, especially if you have a four-door Dominic or four-door Norcold, they are especially prone to failing, and when they fail, the ammonia leaks out and could easily catch fire, and it doesn't take long for it to burn through into the coach. Uh, This is kind of a... A bad situation, but they have not really fixed the issue. They have put a sensor on there that shuts the refrigerator down, which when it gets hot. still has, uh, yes, which still does not really solve the problem. So we are probably going to go to have our coils replaced in our refrigerator. There is a guy in Elkhart. Elkhart, <laughs> Elkhart has everything, doesn't it? 
Well, he called it the Amish solution. solution and right. as we've told you before, there are many Amish working yes. in the RV industry in the Elkhart area. And this man has specialized in um, refrigeration units, both for the members of his community who do not use electricity, oh. and as well as for RVers who are dealing with these um, poorly constructed coils and welds in the back of their fridges that keep catching on fire. So bottom line is, is that they make a line of redesigned coils for the refrigerators. And if you have a four-door Dometic or Narcold, um, they would strongly recommend this as a replacement. He will not put in rebuilt coils because they are of such bad um, quality. And they, even the even in 2011, the ones that they're putting into new coaches are exactly the same design because neither company thinks that it's cost-effective to make a des- major design change because <laughs> their design will outlive the warranty, and that's really what they care about. Very disappointing. Well, RV companies are in a pinch. They're always trying to make things cheaper and lighter and... So uh, those are kind of, well, not downers, but I guess just warnings that we want to share with you that we have certainly lived with. And if you want to donate to the Wiseman <laughs> RV Repair Fund, feel free. And where's the motor coach right now, Mrs. In Elkhart. Why is it in Elkhart? Be, well, it's being repaired and beautified. And beautified. Ooh-wee. So this is a, a just a, re, not a repair, but just uh, something that you well, wanted to have done. That's how it started out, oh, anyway. Yes, well, okay. <laughs> um, our coaches of the vintage, where they put uh, carpeting to the door, and despite our best efforts to take our shoes off when we go in and out, the carpeting has gotten increasingly unpleasant-looking, um, more dirt than the shampooer will take off. So we have taken our coach to Elkhart to have the and carpeting in the front take out and pseudo tough wood flooring put in instead. Yes, we went and bought wood flooring, well, manufactured wood flooring to put in down the center of the motor coach that will make it new and beautiful and easy to take care of. And, of course, in the course of doing this, um, the construction guy discovered another problem that we've been having, um, which involved a lot of water collecting. Well, he, he found mold in under one, the carpeting. In one of our front hatches, which was caused by a cracked pan underneath the driver's window, yada, yada, yada. Ka-ching, water's, ka-ching, been, ka-ching. water's been leaking into the passenger compartment and causing and has now molded partway, and so we need to have some of the flooring replaced. So even though this was very disappointing news, we're glad that we did take take the opportunity yes, to, yes. to replace the flooring or we would never have discovered this and certainly any water damage that you have only perpetuates and spreads as time goes on. So, so what else can go wrong here? Well, we also have a motor repair we still have to do when we go back. Yes, well, well we will ka-ching, talk about that in, in full detail in the next report on the RV Navigator because that will be our uh, focus uh, after this is done because the, the we'll have fabulous pictures of our new interior right? I hope so. Yes. So let's talk about fun stuff. Yes. Uh, one of our listeners asked us a question which we liked a lot and, and never really thought about it because we've just kind of evolved into what we do. Uh, he says, uh, this is Richard, you mentioned in the June 1st show that you're planning your next trip. Have you ever talked about how you go about doing that? <laughs> is the internet replacing hard copy travel books? Do you refer to reviews? How do you know when to make reservations or when you don't have to? We will be renting a truck camper in Alaska in July and have almost daily discussions on what to see and where to go. I would like to hear how you do this. So how do we do this? I say basically we don't because well well, well oh, we, we, would, plan, we plan we <laughs> plan that would be a lie. Well, we plan the loop. 
kind of the broad overall areas that we want to hit, and then we we set off uh, many times because we have the time to spend to, to do the research once we're on the road and to do the research locally. To back up just a little, I think we have... <laughs> well, a, unless there's something spectacular we want to do. I think we have a great advantage in that we spent 30 years um, RVing in the summer yeah. because as educators we had the free time to do so. And <laughs> and we had at least a superficial knowledge of most of the really cool parts of our country. Yeah. And, and that gives us a good framework on which to hang our trip plans for the future. So that's there's nothing like experience. And we both read like fiends about travel. Um, yeah. We read different kinds of things because, as you can tell, we are very different people. Um, but then we can come together and compare what both of us have read and learned and flesh out a trip for the future. I think what Ken is saying is that now that we're retired and we have a lot more time to travel, we don't feel the need to travel to plan as tightly as we did when we were still working because it doesn't really matter if we come home this Friday or next Friday, right. and as we go around the country, inevitably we discover things we'd never heard about. People tell us cool things to see and do, and those get added to the trip and were not planned for originally. And as I recommended to Richard in my reply, um, you want to buy a couple of books about Alaska, and I recommended the church's book if you're going up there because it has virtually every campground and all the routes and exactly what you, you can expect on the roads, but for most of the United States, you don't find that. We are thinking about going to Alaska next summer, and and we have bought the church's book, and of course we'll buy Milepost for going to Alaska. But we are also right now reading other people's blogs about what they are experiencing in Alaska right now. Because one of our questions is we want to spend as much time up there as we can, but we yes. don't want to leave too early while the snow is still on the ground and the frost heaves haven't exactly. been dealt with. Um, so deciding on the timing of the trip, uh, reading other people's blogs gives us a lot of insights. And I think we talked last podcast about reading a guy's blog who's going to be camping in Iceland. Uh, so these <laughs> kinds of... Yeah. of sharing of other people's experiences uh, really help us to decide I, what we want to do. Yes, and I think there are blogs. We did, certainly did that in New Zealand, too. Mm-hmm. We read blogs about uh, you know an area we'd never been to and really didn't know the, the details of traveling and how they found campgrounds and what they did uh, was, was immensely helpful. So lots of blogs. And, of course, you know that our blog is on mytripjournal.com slash Wiseman. But if you go to mytripjournal.com and do a search, you can find blogs about almost any area of the country. Of the world. Well, if you're RVing, you can find almost any part of the country. People who've traveled to those, including ours. You know, if you're going <laughs> you know, if you're going down south to New Orleans or to Texas or someplace, read our blog because it tells you what we've done on a daily basis. And this is a great resource and a, a new tool to us in terms of uh, travel since the Internet's been, well, since blogs have become so popular. I think many, many people can Keep, keep blogs, and it's really a way to find out what other people are doing. And I really like to find objective information where people don't yes. have something that they're trying to sell you. Um, and I have to admit that I use some very medieval resources, probably because I've used them <laughs> medieval. since since we first started traveling. Yes. We've been members of the AAA since forever. They provide good emergency roadside service. And as members, you can get uh, travel books for each of the 50 states, and they list things 
things to see in those states, and they put stars or diamonds by the things that yes. they think are you that are worth seeing. <laughs> and often, um, I will get their maps and use uh-huh. them as a backup to our GPS because it's only a machine, and I don't trust it entirely. And I've kind of planned some loose routes just based on star attractions from the AAA book, which we then flush out along the way. I would agree, and it's certainly uh, we have kind of a standing joke uh, among ourselves that that if it's a star attraction, we have to go. If the AAA has started, then it's it's something worthwhile to see. And so we have many times gone to attractions that are more or less blind just based on the star value of the AAA. And that's worked out pretty well. And the other thing that I feel rather blindly accepting of is anything that's a national park or a national historic yeah, yeah. area. Um, it's worth seeing for some reason. And of course, you need to keep track of the holidays and the peak travel times. You know, if you're traveling the last two weeks in July, uh, the beginning of August, you know, Labor Day, Memorial Day, you need to have reservations almost anywhere you go. We have already made our reservation for Labor Day, as a matter of fact, because even though it's several months away, because we know, and we, and the lady said when we called, you've got one of the last sites, and here it is, early June. As a matter of fact, I think we made it before Memorial Day. And if you're looking at a map and you're going to a vacationy sort of spot that's within mm, four or five hours drive of a major metro area, uh, that will tell you that you need to make reservations certainly for the weekend because people will pop up from a big city and do a little recreation on the weekend. So that's one of the reasons why we as geezers like to travel um after Labor Day. After Labor Day and before Memorial Day when we very rarely make reservations yes. because we like to just go with the flow. But that's a real treat that we appreciate and did not have. And if you want to stay in the national parks or in you know very popular areas, uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, you know, the, the Yellowstone. Places, Yellowstone. Well, the, the places that have, you know, big attractions, certainly near Disney. New then, Orleans at Mardi Gras. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then you need, to, and you need to pay attention to those events because several times we have been <laughs> just a, a, a year or two ago, we were kind of doing the, the road along the Mississippi, and one Saturday night we could not find a place to stay because there was a local longboat races, longboat races which we'd never heard of and didn't have any idea about, and we eventually stayed in just a parking lot because we couldn't find any place else to stay. Yeah, even we went, though we, we went had, to a casino, I remember. Yeah, we went to a casino. And another time, we were in Disney World and we'd made reservations <sighs> way ahead of time, but there was a big marathon, which is a cool idea where you run from park to park, and all of the marathoners had taken up all the campsites. So even though we were trying to make a reservation way ahead of time. We had to leave. And we were in the middle of South Dakota or someplace, and I forget, Nebraska, coming home, and we were driving down the road, remember, and we called for a reservation at a campground a, a couple hours away, and they were like, you've got to be kidding, on uh, this weekend? And yes, it was, so there are areas that have local peccadillos and festivals. Well, yeah, and it's, it's important to pay attention to those if you can. Uh, you know, reading the local newspaper is always a good idea. Picking up, and when you go into a state, picking up the map and the, the tourist information for the particular state. But a lot of our travel is based on, uh, on recommendations from fellow travelers, and certainly that's how we got to, to Betty's. 
which we have been to several times in Louisiana, and that's how we kind of found uh, the Louisiana Cajun cooking type of thing, uh, was just by talking to people and, uh, you know, camping on the ocean in Port Aransas and places that we've been. It's just people say something and we take advantage of it. So you have to be flexible, but then you have to know when to actually be planful. And we've talked about RV Park reviews before. Well, yes, yeah, I think the major sites. But you also might want to take a look at uh, at Rand McNally because they have interesting drives in every area. And I was just reading a new book that I got from Woodalls that has a local you know, kind of loop drives in all parts of the country, even Illinois, surprisingly enough. So, you know, you can go to a place and then maybe do one of these drives that would take you a couple of days, uh, you know, a a couple hundred miles that sees uh, some scenic attractions. And so there are lots of these types of sites. And we have several times listed on the RV Navigator webpage uh, and talked about here the some of these ideas. I think even last month we did in the June 1st edition of the RV Navigator. So that takes care of that question. Thanks maybe. for asking it, yes, Richard. I feel much better it. now. We always like to hear from our listeners, and you always ask good questions. And so the next one is my question about dry wash. Uh, that's D-R-I-W-A-S-H, um, which is a, apparently a patented product. And I was wondering if you really can dry wash your RV or car. And I had uh, some very positive responses from people, so I guess I'm going to give it a try. And we had a comment from uh, Laurie and Jim who said that they use a product called the Solution to wash their fifth wheel, (laughs) which is a waterless solution to wash RVs. They love it. Uh, it really puts a nice wax on our coach, and so and it, it shines. So that's exactly what you want. And as we said last time, many times you can't actually um, wash it because of local water restrictions. So this is a good chance to. Well, I think we'll give this a try. And this, like dry wash, is a product you can only order online. Yeah, I've never even seen. I can't imagine that. Uh, we Walmart's haven't seen it at a at a rally either. <laughs> well, we, well, no, we must have. Really? We must have seen it at a rally. But I just didn't think that it was viable. Now that I hear from the listeners that it actually is a product which is uh, suitable, then we will give it a try. We also got a nice link from RVNet about tips to cut your RV travel expenses. We really like these tips a lot, and a lot of them I think would be helpful to people just on vacation. It wouldn't necessarily have to be in your RV. Uh, The first one recommends that when you get to an area, you buy a local newspaper and check it for coupons, bargains, and savings before you go out to shop for groceries. And, you know, one of the things that I've done, too, is if you check on Groupon, which we are a member of here in the Chicago area, Groupon has... Half price coupon buys all over the over country. The, and by just clicking on the link, you can go down and choose a different city from your own. And we have used Groupons in a, in a large number of areas. As, and as a matter of fact, uh, for your birthday, you received one from your sister. Who lives in who, South Carolina. And she sent us a Groupon for the Chicago area. So hey, that's even kind of a neat idea for a gift. birthday present or yeah. a gift. But using Groupons, uh, certainly if you want to go out to dinner, and they have you know all sorts of interesting attractions. Um, that you can visit. So uh, Groupon is a nice idea. Uh, Don't buy all your groceries at supermarkets. Buy food and other necessities at thrift bakers, discount stores, dollar stores, church and charity bazaars, flea markets, roadside fruit and veggie stands, canned goods, canned plants, and you picked orchards. Sometimes that's cheaper. 
Sometimes it's not cheaper, but it's still fun to do. Same thing with the local farmer's market. Yeah, um, like chat with the those. folks selling the local fruits and veggies. Pick up something new to you, especially if you're in an area that's unfamiliar to you. You might be seeing some fruits or vegetables that you can't get back home. And, and then when you go back home and cook it, you're saving money over going out to eat, and you're getting a local experience. If you're staying in a metered uh, RV park, meaning that the electricity you pay for extra, which is not usually the case if you stay just uh, a sure. night. Wow. But if you stay, as we have found um, frequently, if you stay more than a week or a week, you will find that they charge you by, uh, you pay the metered rate for electricity. And you have to decide whether you want to use propane or use their electricity. And here's an interesting formula that I didn't know. Multiply the kilowatt rate being charged by 20 and compare that to the price of a gallon of propane. So in Texas, we were paying 13 cents per kilowatt which is two times that would be 26 so that would be $2.60 a gallon for propane Right. What do we pay for propane? Over $3. So it would have been cheaper to be on electricity. electricity. Right. So if you were being charged $0.20 cents per kilowatt, it would be cheaper to use propane. And uh, we found that uh, we use the propane furnace, <laughs> if, you, if that's, the, if that's the, what you need. Um, obviously, with, a, with air conditioning, that's not an option. But that gives you kind of an idea of uh, which one you should emphasize. Or whether you should turn and on probably your most of you don't go in the winter either. anyway, so it doesn't make much of in the cold weather. Well, but you use your furnace, sure. Yeah, even in the evening. Anyway, we will leave the rest of these to you. Of course, you will find the link where on the rvnavigator.com homepage. You betcha. As well as a link to our email, and you can just email us at navigator at rvnavigator.com, and we always like to hear from our listeners. So if you want to hear the other tips, then I would suggest you go and visit our website. Next, how about test driving your retirement? We get a lot of questions about retiring and what you want to do in retirement. And we've related some stories to you about uh, people who have made some mistakes. We have interviewed twice uh, Ellen and Jeff, who we just saw again at the Spartan Rally. It was very nice to see them again, and we may be seeing them in the not-too-distant future again. And we're always happy to see you uh, if you let us know that you're going to be in our area. But uh, they started off with their small Baystar... 32-foot. 32? I thought yeah. it was smaller than that. They bought it brand new, and they sold their house, and they were going to go off and do RVing. Full-time. Full-time, and they just kind of made the plunge. And then we heard that she was not very happy with that, and so they bought a 40-foot uh, motorhome. <laughs> and she, the, we got kind of a, a striking email. They were deciding to kind of come off the road, and they just didn't like the RVing lifestyle. Well, I don't know, but the situation has changed, and they have resolved all the issues, and now they're back on the road um, and very happily RVing and making plans to RV long into the future. But how do you decide? You hate to make a mistake when you're going to buy an RV that you don't make a mistake in getting your future correct. So this website says, Test Drive Your Environment, How to Ease into Your Golden Years. Test Drive Your Retirement, How to Ease into Your Environment. (laughs) 
And of course, there again, we feel very fortunate in that we have had the summers to kind of practice the lifestyle that we are fortunate to enjoy more full time these days. But the more you can do to really experience stuff that you envision will be fun, uh, the more likely you will yes. be happy with the decisions that you finally make. Certainly, we've met a number of people of our vintage who whose retirement plan was to do a lot of just fun stuff like golf uh, full time uh-huh. and golf and fishing are a lot more fun when you can only do them on the weekend than when you do them every day of the week and people have found themselves to be aimless and rootless and and unhappy with their retirement because they really didn't put enough planning into it in terms of how they were going to spend their time and of course these days with the economy being so poor people Mm -hmm. also need to practice in a realistic way how how their money is going to last um, until the end of their story so this column is about uh, setting some goals so the goal is to figure out in your 60s, what you want to do in your retirement so that when you turn, when you fully retire at 70, you'll be ready to do the thing that uh, suits you best. And you'll be happy with the choices you'll be happy that you with make. The choices. But they recommend, uh, you know, taking some practice trips and kind of deciding. We've known several people who have just, as we mentioned, just kind of... Atrophied. Well, well, not only atrophied, but or they've just done something that didn't turn out to be suitable for them. So practicing is a good idea, and as, Mar- as Martha said, we have uh, been practicing a long time. So for us, this was pretty much of a no-brainer. Okay, so take a look at that, and that will be a link on our website. And now, on to a couple of uh, products. products. I looked at Super Bumper. And what's the purpose of a Super Bumper? This is very cool. Probably most of your motorhomes and your tow vehicles have a... um, A place to hitch up something. Right. And this is a gizmo that fits into the hitch receiver and... If it's hit from re- from the back, it sticks out about uh, 12 inches, it collapses so that it keeps the back of your vehicle from being damaged should somebody run into the back of it or you back into something. And that's kind of a cool idea. So in our case, we could put it on the back of the motorhome when we're not towing or the back of the towed when we are right. anytime. Yeah, so that if somebody runs into the back of our new tow vehicle. Or if we run into something. <gasps> Who would do that? (laughs) Has that ever happened? Oh, no. We have been rear-ended a few times as the RV... Not my fault. Not allowed to talk about that. Um, The other thing that I bought, uh, you know me. I'm Mr. Mr. Gizmo. Mr. Gizmo. And I've had this. I bought electronic tiki lights. Very tutti-frutti. Oh, but they're fun. I bought them at Lowe's, and they twinkle so that they look like they're burning. If you see an RV with tiki lights on either side that are blinking in welcome for visitors, you'll know it's our RV. Not necessarily. A lot of people. I've never seen anybody else with, a, with electronic tiki lights. Torches, like. Yeah, like, like torches. Like you put by a swimming pool. Yeah. And the other thing uh, that... No, no, they, they flicker like real real flames. And the other thing that Ken learned is that when he just leaves them in the motorhome um, at rest while we were not out camping... Yeah, you got to get there early enough in the to, day. to die. Yes. So now all the tiki lights have been brought to our yard and are twinkling away in our but yard. But our neighbors really enjoy it. I'm sure they do. And I only found them at Lowe's, so that's the only place you can buy them, I think. So you want to go to Lowe's. A two-pack you can get. Not very catching, and they're all really cool. Okay. Um, now, is that all the technology we're going to talk about today? I think so. You don't want to talk about your new iPad 2? No. 
Why? Because I wouldn't have anything new to add. Why? Is it much better than the iPad 1? That's what you seem to think. See, she's got now. Everybody thinks that I'm the technology person here, but who has the two newest pieces of technology from the computer world? Sometimes it pays who not do, to be no, an answer early the question. Adapter. Who has it? Well, that's because you weren't ready to hand me down your old ones yet. Hand you down? I that's usually what I get is the hand-me-downs, but not lately. No, so she has a new iPad 2. And it's a little a little lighter and a little slimmer it's very cool. than yours. Yes, same screen. But And what color did you buy? <laughs> it's got a blue cover. Is that what you're talking about? No. What, what color did, of the iPad did you buy? It's clear, isn't she it? She doesn't even know. It's she white. doesn't know that they come in different colors. Well, you bought it. It's what color? You bought it. What color is it? It's kind of silvery. It's black. Mine is black. They come in two colors, white and black. Yours is black. I don't think so. I'll have to go look at it. I try to keep her up with technology, but it just Well, I'm looking work. at the front of it, not the back of it. That's exactly where it is, is on the front. On the front is my blue cover. No, it's the black. <laughs> I really like the cover. You just open the cover and it comes it's to magnetic. life. That's very cool. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. If you're new to RVing, you might want to take a look at a new book. We're going to buy this for a friend of ours. It's called RV Vacations for Dummies. Part of and the I don't mean ex- to say- extensive series of dummies books yes. on all topics. From New England to the Oregon coast, from Texas to the Tetons, America is full of fascinating and friendly places, and your RV is a great way to get to any one of them. This fun family guide shows you how to get the most out of your RV vacations with fun itineraries and handy tips on choosing the right route, picking the right RV for your budget, eating sleeping comfortably on the road and planning ahead for special travel needs, which of course could address some of the issues that we talked about earlier. That's a new book that you can buy about RVing. Especially if you're new to the biz. The biz and you're listening to the RV Navigator to pick up the latest news about the RVing world. So that about ends it up for the middle of June 2011. We want to continue to ask you to vote for us on the Budget Travel World's Best Traveler. They have changed things just a bit. We've had a couple of emails from frustrated listeners who have not been able to vote because they changed the link on the front page. You really have to look for it now, and it's about the same location that it always was, but that little World's Best Cruiser logo is missing. It's in with a panda or something. Or better yet, go to the RVNavigator.com. Com website and you will see a link right there that takes you directly to the voting. You have to vote every day. We are we have been starting to lose our lead, and of course this will be the last time we mention this. And hopefully by the by the next podcast, we will have been crowned. We will be the world's best cruisers, even though we're not. But <laughs> <laughs> we don't know exactly how this accolade is going to be bestowed upon us, but we do appreciate. And you have put us 10 points ahead almost but if it's less than 10 points you need to vote we're grateful for your help and we're very sorry they moved the link we didn't know they were going to do that and we're sorry to keep harping about this but what the heck you may as well vote for us as long as you're on your computer anyway so we do thank you for keeping us ahead and it's the rv navigator podcast nation which is going to put us ahead and keep us ahead in the budget travel world's best cruiser award so please vote and vote often and vote every day That's all they'll let you vote, once a day. Until next time. 
This is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. Hoping that we will see you in a campground near us. If you are in Elkhart, that could definitely be a possibility. Let us know. Talk to you later. Happy travels. Bye now.